Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I will be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and of course, leave a review. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of One for the Road. And it's a very special one indeed as it's episode 100. And I couldn't think of a better guest to get on than my wonderful producer, Danny Martinez. On this very special episode, we discuss how working on this show has totally changed her relationship with alcohol. And we also discuss how she's dealing with being diagnosed with endometriosis. And we go on to discuss some of her favourite guests working on the show. And don't forget, this show is sponsored by Helen Bennett. Head over to her Instagram at Coach Helen Bennett and find out what she's currently offering by sending her a DM. Thank you so much for all your ongoing support for the show. Here's to the next 100. So, Danny, welcome to my podcast, One for the Road. This is an extra special day because it is our 100th episode. And for those who you don't know, Danny is my producer. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. Very surreal being uh, sat here recording, dreading editing this and having to listen to my own voice eternally grateful that we are not using any of the video footage because i look like i've been dragged through a hedge backwards currently oh didn't i tell you (laughs) (laughs) don't even go there (laughs) yeah no i get it about the voice because uh um, not many people know this but out of every single episode that i've recorded of one for the road and all the other podcasts i've been a guest on i've never listened to a single one I can believe it. Nobody likes the sound of their own voice. If you hear the sound of your own voice, you think, oh my God, I must stop speaking. It's so cruel to society (laughs) that you have to listen to this. Sign language. So yeah, it's interesting because um, I approached you over two years ago now with this mad idea that I had off a whim that I'm going to do a podcast. And I, I know that you have a podcast, but you also produce as well. So how was it for you then when I came and said, that, oh, by the way, Danny, uh, I want you to produce my podcast, but I didn't even know what it was then. I obviously realized it would be around alcohol and addiction. Uh, that was something that was very out of my comfort zone, um, something that was very new to me. So it was exciting. And I am always excited to take on new shows, particularly full production shows, because you really do get to help them grow. But also I was like, oh, I'm a little bit of a duck out of water here. And it's been a massive learning curve for me being on the show and and sort of, you know, being part of this journey. Yeah. And uh, the first episode went in at number four in the Apple charts, which was absolutely insane, wasn't it? The success that this show has had. And, and like I said, you know, I've worked on on various shows, editing and, and stuff, but to be able to say that I am the producer of One for the Road is a hand on heart, one of my most proudest life achievements because I know how well the show has performed. And I think that we've we've been a good team. You know, we've we've really sort of like nailed this teamwork. But it's the amount of people that it is clearly helping. That's where the real, you know, I think joy for both of us comes from is the fact that this is helping so many people out there. It really is. And I get messages on email, DMs saying, you have no idea how much your podcast has changed my life. And that's not just me, it's my guests as well, sharing their stories, being true to themselves as well. Because a lot a lot of people have been really, really honest about things and they come off of the podcast and I press pause and I say to them, are you okay? And they go, do you know what? That was the best therapy session I've ever had. And I said, well, to be fair, I haven't really said a lot, which is always the best therapist, isn't it? Yeah, you know, definitely a million percent. I mean, 
obviously editing some of these shows, you know, they can be so raw. You know, I can be sat working and, and crying, you know, or smiling sometimes, depending on, on what I'm listening to. But they really, you know, guests have not held back on sharing their experiences. People are so candid and open and vulnerable. And it's, you've created such a safe space for people to be able to do that. Mm, thank you. And it's important for me to say as well that I wouldn't have this show if it wasn't for you. And we've stuck together side by side along the way. There's been some right ups and downs with different projects and whatever, isn't there? But we are the dream team. We are the dream team. And people don't know what's going on in the background. So all they know is that that show is going to be out every single week without fail unless we're on a season break. That's it. But people don't see everything that goes into the background. And there is so much blood, sweat and tears that go into making this show what it is and, and showing up every single week. I know. And it makes me laugh because it's like we're an old married couple of 40 years because <laughs> you do <laughs> nag me sometimes and say, Oi, where is it? I yeah, mean. I definitely nag you a million percent. And I feel sorry for poor Victoria because it's just me on the phone like, Oi, you need to do this. You need to do that. What about this? What about that? My uh, <laughs> 10 minute long voice notes. Just like I, know. Me I, again. <laughs> I, I give it back to you quite a lot as well, <laughs> did I? A bit of cheeky sod. But um, no, it's absolutely brilliant. And, and do you know what? I love doing it as well. When I think I'm recording a podcast, I get really excited. And I showed you my notes for the show, which was a blank bit of paper, because I've kind of got it in my head. Um, and I like it to be like um, we would meet for a coffee and just say, how are you? What's going on? And that's why I think it, the format works so well, because I haven't got a list of questions. I listen. I, I let people speak because I, oh, that's another thing we want to talk about is why I don't have the ads in the middle, right? Oh. Because you've been pressing me, but I don't, I don't want the flow to be interrupted, and it works that way as well. Because if you're getting into someone's life story, and all of a sudden a flipping bing bong bing big cornflake advert comes on, it just breaks it all up. So it's important for me, you know, to to have the flow of the the story. I will say to the listeners that you have always, always got their best interests at heart. Obviously from a producer's side, I, I want to put the ads in the show. I want them at the start, the middle and the end, because that's, that's just how it works. And you will, we have fought back and forth on this and you will not give in. You are like no ads in the middle of the show. And I, and I understand why it's a very, very different type of show to some of the other shows that I've worked on. It really is. And it's personal to people, you know, and it's important that if you interrupt someone's flow, it's important for the listener. You know, like I, I won't watch ITV because it drives me mad. You know, all the ad breaks and that I can't get into it. And it's just how I feel about the podcast as well. But moving on from that, um, when I first met you, I didn't really ever discuss what your relationship was like with drinking. And do you want to tell everyone where you were at the time, just after lockdown, wasn't it, which was quite a crucial time for a lot of people back then? So in all honesty and, and, and openness here with the listeners, you know, I have always drunk. I started drinking I didn't drink much in my teens, actually. I think it was the novelty of having a driver's license made me just want to drive everywhere. Um, but I started drinking in my early twenties. Um, at that point, I used to be long haul cabin crew for Virgin and me and my housemate, whenever we, you know, had a night in the house together, we would get, get a bottle of wine each and, uh, and a bar of chocolate. And, you know, and I'll be honest back then, I was quite proud if I could finish that bottle of wine. You know, I was, I was young and I was stupid and, Unfortunately, that then became habitual as time went on. Um, I've suffered on and off with my with my health for a number of years. Um, I've gone back and forth to the doctors, been diagnosed with a, a multitude of, of different conditions. And you know me, I'm quite strong. I'm quite resilient. You know, I, I've got a real can-do attitude. And, and it really started to grate on me. I thought, how can, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm young, I'm ish, <laughs> I'm fit. You know, I, I eat well. The only thing I do wrong is drink. And, um, and I basically was using drink to deal with the discomfort. So during lockdown, my health started getting worse and I 
was obviously very restricted with the healthcare that I could access at that point. There was a lot going on in the world. And, you know, I'd lost my connection with my, my you know, my social network of family and friends. So I began drinking more. Now I, um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was already drinking, you know, wine most days, but that really ramped up during, during lockdown and I would be drinking a bottle of wine. And then I started moving on to whiskeys. So it became the norm for me to drink a bottle of wine and then, you know, several very large double, maybe even triple whiskeys. And I would be very drunk. I would go to bed most nights and I, I you know, I would be drunk. I'd be sat in the toilet having a wee drunk, chuckling away to myself that I was so drunk. And it's not funny. There's nothing remotely funny about it, but that was my coping mechanism to deal with the mental struggles with lockdown, with I'm very, very sociable. And, you know, I I really struggled and felt very, very isolated. And also I'd begun to really struggle with my health. It sounds like a really tough time. And so many people used it as coping mechanisms back then, you know, during lockdown, kids at home. You know, I always remember thinking, Christmas was hard enough where relatives would come over Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and then rowing and whatever. But we were stuck together for months and end, weren't we? Not getting out. Um, it was scary times, actually, wasn't it? Queuing up at the supermarkets one by one, you know. And I just feel so grateful that at that time I wasn't drinking because I don't know how I'd have got the quantity in to serve my needs. Do you know what I mean? I think you would have probably killed yourself. I would have done something, you know, like my mental health would have been shocking. So I feel so grateful that I gave up in 2019. But, you know, there's that whole thing about um, the coping mechanism, but also your tolerance goes up. So when you, you know, you say you were drinking a bottle of wine and then a few whiskeys, that's because your tolerance was so high, I imagine. I'm, you know, for anyone that doesn't know what I look like, I'm a very small framed, very short, five foot two woman who you wouldn't think could drink that quantity of alcohol, but yet somehow or other was successfully managing to put that away night on night. You know, my husband was saying to me, well, you seem to be, you know, and he's trying to do it like tactfully, but you seem to be, you know, drinking a quite a lot of that whiskey. And I just, I would get really irritated and, you know, defensive yeah immediately just shut him down because i just thought i don't I literally don't want to hear what you've got to say to me because it's I, i'm doing what i want to do and you know bless me you was only trying to help but but it was help that i just didn't want i was you know and and i have said to you previously the one thing that i've learned from listening to everyone's stories from working on the show from being involved in this community is all of us whatever and however we sort of drink or use drugs or whatever our addiction problems might be, we still all fall under one umbrella. And that is we are using it as a coping mechanism. So for me, I was using wine to numb out the pain and discomfort that I was having from health issues, you know, for the next person, their reason, their why could be completely different, but it all boils down to the same thing. We are using it for coping for escapism. Yeah. Reward. Um, and I always say, and I stick by it, that everyone's relationship is different to the other person. We might drink the same amount, but there are so many layers to it, right? So yours was the pain of this disease, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I imagine was the overwhelming of feeling ill all the time because you are someone that goes to the gym every day. You need that for your mental health, don't you? You've told me that. If you don't, if you miss a gym two or three days, you start to get down and. I feel ill in myself if I don't train mentally and physically. You know, it, that has a huge, huge impact on my daily life. I'm very big into, you know, into fitness. I'm very big into yoga, into meditation. You know, all of these things are very important to me to be able to be the best version of myself that I can be. And when, you know, I'm, I was suffering and I was having bad times and having bad days and I couldn't do those things, it obviously has such a huge knock-on effect with everything else because then, yeah, my mental health would struggle. And with this endometriosis, you've only recently just been diagnosed, haven't you? Because they didn't really know what it was. No. So I um, started my periods quite young at 11 and they were debilitating, absolutely debilitating. But as a woman, you know, people go, well, you get period pains, they hurt. And I don't know what another woman feels like inside her body. So I went through 
life like that. And I mean, I, it used to be to the point I couldn't leave the house when I had my period. It would be so heavy. It interfered with my relationships later in life, you know, really struggled with, with intimacy, partners leaving, cheating on me, et cetera. But because I was struggling and I went back and forth and back and forth and I, I kind of got nowhere with it. And then, you know, for the past four years, I've had four different surgeries, like gynae surgeries, and still nobody was giving me answers. I was going to the doctor with chronic IBS, you know, horrendous periods, problems with my spine, problems with my legs, problems with my breathing, problems with migraines. The list is endless. I started to feel like a hypochondriac. And I was thinking, I do everything right. Like I'm, I'm pretty healthy. What the hell is going on here? And it was only, you know, I would say honestly, probably the past six months that have really started to get answers. And I'm, I'm 40 soon. So that's shocking that I have been left to deal with this for so many years. But they, they finally got to the bottom of it. I found an amazing specialist and they went in. And um, so a little bit of um, background, I guess, actually on endometriosis for people that don't know. So it is very, very prevalent. It's a female-only disease. It affects 176 million women worldwide. Uh, and it's different levels. So it's graded from stage one to stage four. And, you know, for the listeners, they might have family members, friends, et cetera, who have it, they might have it themselves and it doesn't really affect them too much. But unfortunately for some women, the disease is absolutely chronic. And for myself, when they went in, it was all over, you know, my bowel, my rectum, my bladder, it, my whole pelvis was just full. Um, and, and that's why I've been so ill. It affected the, the nerves on my spine. So all of these things that I was going to the doctors about, and, you know, they were throwing drugs at me left, right and center. They were offering me Parkinson's medication for my legs, antidepressants for my moods, opioid drugs for my pain, you know, something else for my migraines. It, it was really endless. And I didn't want to take those tablets because I was thinking I can't have all of these things wrong with me. And I was doubting myself. You know, I really was doubting myself and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And the way that I was dealing with that then was to have a glass of wine at the end of the day, because most days I would be in pain. But it's not just the pain, is it? It's the the mental health issues that it raised as well, the worry, the anxiety, probably lack of sleep as well. So it's the full circle, isn't it? And you end up the next day feeling even worse in the morning. So it's it's just a short-term fix, but it does a job at the time, doesn't it? It does the job very short-term at the time. So, yeah, I mean, the anxiety was was very real. And you know, what I'll say about endo is that it, it causes a lot of, of different co-conditions and they constitute as morbidities in their own right. So, you, you know, you are looking at pelvic problems, gastro problems, urinary tract problems, musculoskeletal problems. But one of the biggest problems is it causes crippling anxiety, crippling depression and a real crushing fatigue. And women are trying to deal with this in the only way that a lot of us know how to. And that is turning to drink. And it feels like there's a massive gap in education around this as well. It's huge. Actually, I read, um, I was reading a, a case study the other day and uh, from a doctor that had gone to a conference in Sydney and uh, over 75% of the doctors in that conference either didn't know what it was or wouldn't have been able to diagnose it. There is no education around it. It's shocking. That's absolutely awful, isn't it? I feel like it stole my life. I genuinely feel like it stole some really good parts of my life. And, you know, I am so grateful to have had this removed. But unfortunately, it is something that does come back and you have to manage that now moving forward. And this is the thing, isn't it, about drinking? Like when we say it's a short term fix, we have to look at the bigger picture, you know, about supporting your nervous system. Um, the right nutrition, exercise, and, you know, your form of relaxation is meditation, yoga, other people's breath work, grounding, going for long walks and things like that. It's the bigger picture that I always try and focus on because I love the whole one day at a time thing, but it's, you know, where do you want to be in five years' time in your life? Because you're nowhere without your health, right? I think that's what I've realized massively. So obviously. Prior to having surgery, I was still drinking wine, although I had massively cut down 
I was still drinking wine. So I was doing all of the, you know, air quote, right things as in training. You know, I very, very clean, very, very fresh. I was meditating. I use my PEMF mat every, every night. I meditate every single day. You know, I practice yoga. But the one thing I was still doing was drinking alcohol because that was my pain relief, you know, and where do I want to be in five years time? Not, not in the position that I've been in for the past you know, several years. And that is using alcohol as, as you know, crutch for something else. But the thing is, right, the the whole mummy wine culture, beer monster thing, or however you want to frame it, is so ingrained in society, isn't it? That it's your go-to, whatever. And, it, you know, it's the old thing, you're boring, or there's nothing wrong with you, and you're not a big drinker, have a glass of wine. It's such a common thing. And this is why we have to ri- rise above it and think, actually, this is me and my life now and my health and my mental health. I need to do this for me. And this is why it's so important to love yourself enough to do that. The one thing that you say a lot in, in your shows, and that really resonated with me and still does resonate with me, is you don't have to be a chronic binge drinker to have a problem with alcohol. So actually, from the education that I've gained in being part of this community and being a producer on your show, it is sometimes quite uncomfortable because I can spot the issues. I can spot the issues within myself. I can spot the issues within you know family, friends, so on and so forth. And it's shocking how many people out there are actually having problems with alcohol, but they either are not educated enough to realize it, or do you know what? They don't want to realize it. Yeah, there's huge denial. And then half the trouble is with not being educated enough is because you have to search for the data. And if you're not ready to give up, you're not going to look for that, are you? So this is why all these campaigns for 25% off if you buy six bottles of wine, that's all the education that we've been fed out there. There's nothing like labeling on the bottles where like on cigarette packets where you see people laying in bed with tubes all over them or a lung, like a lung full of tar. And this is the biggest problem now is you go to a doctor's and they put you on antidepressants because you're depressed. They rarely ask you how much you're drinking these days. And I've experienced that as well. I had my, uh, when I was on antidepressants, they doubled my dose without even mentioning alcohol. I've tried to mention alcohol to the doctors in the past in the way of explaining that I'm using this every single day. I appreciate that that's not normal. These are my reasonings behind it. What's your take? And you get nothing back. I, you know, this. I'm not out for shaming doctors at all because they're amazing, right? But they're on a, such a limited time yeah. now and they've got limited resources. And when you say, you know, I'm drinking, they say, well, just cut down a little bit. <laughs> just Try like to that. cut down, right? And it's like there's a lot of us out there that would like, can't, you know, and it's what else is there out there? So there's huge steps needed to move forward with education. And this is why... I try and pepper them in my account of different resources, different accounts that talk about brain chemistry, neurotransmitters, menopause. This will lead on to some of my favorite guests actually on the show. And we're going to talk about yours as well, because I love, love, love the life stories. But I talk to people every day about their life stories, right? And I love them. And I talk on podcasts about mine. But I've always found the ones with the specialists come on the most fascinating um, for me personally. And I've, you know, I've had Marissa Peer, who is a global mindset speaker, and I've met her in real life, actually. And she's a lovely, lovely woman. But some of the nuggets she comes out with are fantastic. Dr. Rebecca Lewis, who talks about the menopause. And, you know, I wanted to do that one. To not only talk about the links between alcohol and, you know, the symptoms of menopause and hangovers, you know, the fuzzy brain, anxiety, low mood, you know, night sweats and stuff like that. But also wanted men to hear it to try and find ways of supporting their partners in this as well. You know, as a man myself, talking about the menopause that's what I was hoping for and I did get many messages as well saying thank you so much for bringing this 
this uh, issue up, right? And then I had, of course, the incredible Professor David Nutt who was on recently. And when he came on, I was like, literally, it's like... Starstruck. <laughs> I was starstruck and I had inferiority complex. But do you know what? He... He was so, so lovely, um, and I could listen to him all day. Um, I met Michelle Heaton at an event, and she was four weeks sober, and she was like a frightened little bird, and I gave her a hug, and she was shaking, right? Um, And she had to get herself out of there because there was a free bar at a cancer event, and I could not believe it. Everyone was literally drinking like crazy there. Right. And, and she went, but I saw her then she came onto the podcast and now I see her. Uh, I think her latest thing is, uh, SAS who dares win. She's in that brave woman. I, I, I know, but she's done strictly, but she looks so much healthier now from when I met her. I think when you take alcohol out of the equation, you're never going to lose. You're always going to win. Always, always going to win. Uh, and you support your nutrition, your sleep, your mental health gets better. Well, going back to what you said about there being a free bar at the cancer event, I mean, everyone knows that cancer is an inflammatory disease and alcohol causes massive inflammation in the body. I know. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't feel comfortable at that event at all. And then there was Denise Welsh that came on my podcast, right? And that was in the first season. And I'm she was chatting away. Yeah. And she was chatting away and her husband came in and started putting the knives and forks in the trough <laughs> and the washing up like nothing was happening. And she said, do you mind? I'm recording a podcast. And you went, well, I'm doing the washing up. And these were all their little, I wish we had the bloopers. All the bloopers. There. I know. And that was funny. And then uh, Andy Franks, Franksy, who um, was a tour manager for Robbie Williams, Madonna, Coldplay. He was on his uh chair by the window in a flat in Brighton, right? And all of a sudden the doorbell went and he went, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, and he left, right? And I could hear it. It was the Amazon delivery bloke. I remember started, editing all yeah, of these. He had a chat with him for about five minutes, right? In the meantime, in the background, you wouldn't have seen it, his neighbour come out onto the balcony. He had a pink shirt on, a pink, pink jumper over his shoulders, waving at all the people going by it's his campus christmas <laughs> and i was sitting there thinking i don't know what's going on here like i can hear Franksy talking to the flipping amazon delivery you got a flipping bloke on the thing with his pink jumper on it's like i don't know how to get back into this story if the listeners knew how much editing went on in the background for shows honestly i end up laughing i sit there don't get me wrong some days i'm not laughing some days i'm crying People are very open and vulnerable on, on, on the show when they come on and share. But there have been some right laughs. And I thought, oh, bloody hell, how am I going to piece this together now? I know. You've done some amazing things with the edit, haven't you? And it's like, in hindsight, I wish we'd have kept the bloopers, do you know what I mean, for the 100 episode as well. That would have been quite fun. I'm sure I could dig them out somewhere. They're on the hard drive. Yeah. So what were your standout episodes then? Big standout episodes for me, a million percent was Dr. Rebecca, because even though it was discussing menopause, it was still hormones and the correlation between alcohol and hormones, which obviously is a big, big thing to me with everything that's going on health-wise. So I did take a lot from that. And also I've really enjoyed working on the same as you've enjoyed recording, you know, the more educational shows as well. I like that nice balance between life stories and, and education. Um, I really enjoyed Susan Christina with her, you know, opening the bottle of wine when she starts cooking. And I, I could resonate with her quite deeply, you know, and sort of not, not so much obviously these days, but, but more, you know, going back through that lockdown of, oh, well, you know, I'll have the two bottles of wine on the weekend. And, and you know, you get on that slippery slope. So, and she was a lovely woman, really lovely woman, but, but yeah, very relatable. I took a lot from uh, Professor David Nutt, much like yourself. Um, I, I have been open on your on your socials um, as well, and I, I will say here, and I do know it's got a very mixed um, opinion, but I am quite open-minded about the use of psychedelics as medicine for, for treatment uh, with mental health conditions. And I, I liked the level of you know expertise, knowledge, and education that, that Professor David Nutt brought to the show. 
And the one that I really, I got, you know, quite a lot of chuckles from, but also like, I got it. I so got it. It's the craziness of um, Alex Norwood Hill's life. And when he was in Ibiza and he had that epiphany and, you know, and he turned up and he, he didn't have the shoes and the car keys and, you know, all, all of that stuff. And, and that for me, I, it made me laugh, but I thought I kind of get it. Like for any of us who have, have drunk and gone crazy, that is, it's very relatable, very, very relatable. So, but th- to be fair, every single guest that has come on, I have taken something away from the show. Hundred percent. I mean, um, Helen Bennett. You know the well, that that went wild because so many people who struggle with addiction struggle with food addiction as well. Well, there's the question: What do I do? Deal with my food issue or my drinking and I've always said and Helen's agreed as well with get the drinking dealt with and then we can hit their disordered eating right because there are so many ties in you know with with this you know like even binge eating as well when you've had a drink how many of us go to the bloody kebab shop or get a takeaway or guzzle down a huge bar of chocolate when we're drinking you make poor life choices because you've got an altered state of mind yeah, but there's also the the links with not meeting your emotional needs, you know, disordered eating, purging, yeah. you know, it, it's so similar. And also, when you stop drinking, the old sugar monster comes in and you start making poor choices then. And that can be down to your blood sugar levels, but it can be down to dopamine hits as well. Mm-hmm. And also playing the victim of, well, I can't drink, so I might as well have this. And Helen's amazing because what I love about Helen is she's really down to earth. She is what you see is what you get. So I learn as well. You know, when I get these specialists on talking about things, I kind of go in blind like you did with my podcast. And at the end of it, I think, yeah, I can really see the links between the symptoms of menopause and drinking as well. And I can see the links with disordered eating. Because I I admitted on my podcast with her that I have my own poor relationship with food. You know, I you know I talked about my infamous peanut butter on toast, right? But I was eating it as a reward for having a good call with a client or doing a good podcast or or anything. Think, do you know what? I'm not even hungry yet. I'm going to treat myself because I I love it. But it all falls under that umbrella of addiction, addictive cycles, addictive patterns, everything, be it food, alcohol, drugs, gambling, sex. It's unfortunately, it's a mindset that people get into and it is hard to get out of, Dave. But this is why you need support and listening to these podcasts and you can hear these and then reach out to these specialists as well and say, you know, even if it's discovery called to see what they can do to to help you, you know. Um, and that's why it's so important. And this is why I love doing my podcast because you talk to people from all over the world that know so much about things. And this is why I say like to people, educate yourself. There's so many resources out there that we don't even really know off the shelf. Do you know what I mean? I think it, the podcast is a good way, not just for people to educate themselves, but to dip their toes into the water. You know, if if you are someone that is struggling with alcohol or you have a friend or family member that is you can dip your toe in the water. You haven't even got to initially speak to anyone. It's just listening and learning and yeah. knowing that, you know what, you're not alone. There are other people that are going through it or have been through it who can help you. Mm. And that is the benefit of the podcast. And also through your community, Dave, obviously you you run sober events and they're absolutely phenomenal, like such a good time, such a good time. So there is a huge community out there as soon as you're ready to take that leap. Absolutely. And, you know, you came to my um, summer party, didn't you? I did. Um, and it was so lovely to see you there. And everyone loved it, didn't they? The, the connection was incredible. You would think that people were drinking alcohol. Yeah. Buzz and that atmosphere. There was no no difference, and I think that's what people think. Oh, there's going to be such a difference. Actually, people are probably having more fun because they're not drunk and chatting absolute nonsense. Yeah. They're sober, 
high on life and having really beautiful conversations. And remembering so them. Many, yeah, I'm remembering them. But I had so many beautiful conversations with so many beautiful people that day. Yeah. And walked away feeling so fulfilled and happy. How many times can you say that you've gone on, you know, on a night out to the pub and gotten drunk and you've walked away feeling fulfilled and unhappy? I know you feel a bit broken crap. You talk about your hangover. Yeah. You know, exactly. oh my God, I felt so ill the next day. Not, oh, I actually had a really, really good time. And this is why I've created this new beginnings thing, right? Because when I've done my dry January campaigns, I've created groups, right, of people. And these people are scared and they don't know what's ahead of them when they stop drinking, right? So I created a thing where I'm doing group coaching every single day um, and also uh, a private group as well. So people can go in, have conversations, be accountable on that. And like my events, you meet new people, you connect, and life looks good all of a sudden. Do you know what I mean? Because... We all go, oh, well, I'm going to lose all my friends if I stop drinking. But you you do um, but because you don't align with them anymore. But you also meet new friends that you do align with. And these people quite often have the same values and the same stories. And they can say, do you know what? I used to drink a bottle of wine and a few whiskers as well. And I've turned my life around completely. And it gives you the confidence and the enthusiasm to actually keep going right because on your own when you're white knuckling uh, and you're doing it on your own you've got no accountability because it's so easy for that little voice on your shoulder to go you all right go on fading bars effect where you'll where always you, justify your own action you always will and and uh, you know it's human nature to think do you know what I'm like it with me bloody peanut butter in the morning. It's like, oh, go on. You're right. You did a good podcast. Have two big slabs of peanut butter on toast. Yeah, I know, but you had a big bowl of muesli an hour before. You're not even hungry. Yeah, I know, but it's crunchy, organic peanut butter. It's lovely. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing, isn't it? Is it not? I agree with you. And I just think as well, a lot of people, I actually saw a post, um, not, not from your community, although I did, did tag her in it, but I saw a post the other day online. So there's, um, a community not far from me called Dawn Stalkers and they go swimming in the sea at dawn. Um, obviously it's the name says uh, and it's a lot of them are are sober but that's not the reason why you know there's people who who, who aren't sober but they they all go and uh this girl had gone and she said you know my weekends look slightly different now and you know I was very nervous when I stopped drinking that I would be on my own and you know all the, all the usual stuff that you hear time and time again and she said actually this has enabled me to see that there's a different way of living and you know I looked at these beautiful pictures that she put on I mean she must have been freezing god love her but you know she'd put on uh you know in, in the ocean and they were beautiful and she looked happy and she looked well. And I thought, well, you know, that is, that's a, I've, I've done dawn stalkers myself. It's a beautiful way to start the day. How would you rather start your day on a, you know, a Sunday morning hungover and skin or mm. fresh and ready to face the day? When I see all the memes online about how terrible weekends are. So like the one day is, you know, supposed to be relaxation, but you end up running all your errands. And then the other day is, you know, that anxiety and da, 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 da. And then you go back to work. Well, actually, if you prioritize your time accordingly and you do the right things, you will get so much more from life all round. I agree. And I've always said, you know, about the alignment with people is that um, if you join like a hiking club or a cycling club, you're less likely to get the boozes in them because who's going to get up at six in the morning and do a 50K bike ride if they've got in from the booze at two in the morning with a kebab hanging out of their mouth? Yeah, it's not going to happen, right? So, it's, it's about the whole change of lifestyle, isn't it? It's about doing different things. I remember once I worked for someone on a Sunday morning in, when I was doing carpets, right? And I said, what are you doing this afternoon? And I said, oh, we're going to go out for a lovely walk in the countryside. And, and I thought, God, how boring, right? Because I was drinking then. All I could do was think about getting a job done and being at the door at midday when the bolt would come down and going in there with the roast potatoes on the bar. Right now, I couldn't think of anything worse than to waste an entire Sunday because it's not just the time in the pub, it's after mm. you know, it's how you feel, whether you carry on drinking or not. I did obviously. So, wake up Monday morning, start of the week. Surely, you want to wake up feeling fresh, healthy, enthusiastic, motivated, 
to have a really good week, not starting your Monday morning going, I want to die. No, I agree. And I, you know, it's funny. I look back at, at my youth and I, I'm, you know, again, very honest. I partied very hard, big rave goer, big party girl. And, you know, I definitely, it was a no holds barred approach, you know, in my twenties. How much do I actually remember of my twenties? I don't even actually remember those nights because, you know, I was absolutely out of my skull, but, but how much do I actually remember of my twenties? I don't think I felt very good or very healthy in my twenties because I was either partying or, you know, hungover. And as you get into your thirties, that definitely changed for me. And that, that makes it easier to step away from, you know, be it alcohol, drugs, whatever, because you see the benefits of doing the other things, i.e. hiking, yoga, meditation, whatever it might be. And I also think there's so much more awareness now, you know, like I, I did, I have no memory of my forties, which I've talked about before, but that's a gospel truth. It's very faded for me because the liters and liters of vodka I was drinking, the binges in the pub and the reclusive lifestyle I, I led. I didn't have many experiences. You know what I mean? It, it was literally blackout, wake up, drink, blackout, wake up, drink, go Your to work. focus was the experience of getting blackout drunk. Yeah. That, that was all you wanted. At yeah, that I had point. no memories of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the memories that I do have weren't that nice, right? And this is, again, why I always go back to how do you want the next five years of your life to look like? What version of you do you want to be in five years' time? If that's too much, bring it down this time next year. Where do I want to be leading up to Christmas? Do I want to be healthier? Do I want to be really motivated in my life? Do I want to have better family dynamics at home? You know, think of your goals of what you want in your life. And you can have them by starting today, tomorrow. Just think, what I'm going to do tomorrow. That's all I've got to do. Have a day without it. Make plans, like organize yourself. Plan what you're going to say to your friends, because that's a big problem for a lot of people, because they, they're going to get shamed into drinking. So say to them, you know, your mental health's really low at the moment, or you've got a lot of anxiety, so you try not to drink. Or I'm not drinking at the moment, move on kind of thing, you know? I do think it's a lot more accepted now. It definitely is, you know, in in my generation, uh, obviously I'm slightly younger than you. It's very, very normalised now for people to not drink, for people to take the alcohol-free, you know, options that are out there. And there are a lot of alcohol-free options that are out there for people who don't find them triggering. So you can kind of go out and sometimes not even have to have that conversation if it's a conversation you don't feel ready to have. And if you don't want to, you know, have that alcohol-free bottle of beer or whatever, get yourself a, you know, I don't know, soda and lime and just don't say anything. People don't know what you're drinking. I, you know, last time I checked, I didn't go about having a sip of everyone's drink at the table. So, you know, and if it comes into conversation and they go, oh, you know, get get this round in or, or whatever, you know, what are you on? And it comes in, then you can say, but I also don't think that it has to be a, a, a big, big thing. thing. No, and I, I have a friend, I have a friend who decided at the start of the year to stop drinking. And she said, I don't, I don't know if I'll do this forever. I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do, but she never really struggled with alcohol. She just made that decision. She said, she's a PT. And it's funny now, cause she said, I get so much more from my nights out. And she said, there's that little window where she'll be like, oh, maybe I should have a drink. She said it normally lasts about 30 to 45 minutes. She went, and if I can have like a mocktail and yeah. get through that, she said, I go on to enjoy the rest of my evening. And then when everyone else is basically going downhill, she leaves. And she said, I've had really good nights out and then really positive following days because I've stopped drinking. Yeah, I, I love that. Because there is a short window and a lot of it is as well is when people go out, it's that anxiety going into the event. But once you're in there, it's okay. I agree. You know, that's why people have pre-drinks in it to get over the anxiety of actually going out, right? To walking into a pub or a restaurant or whatever and getting over that. So there is a very, very short window that you have to ride through. But after that, no one really knows, especially if they've had a few as well. The world we live in, Honestly, the only thing people really care about mostly is themselves. They're in their own little bubbles. Mm. So people 
people aren't that observant. They don't really notice. And if, if they notice enough and feel the need to say something derogatory or negative, that's generally a reflection on them. It's yeah. never on you. I always say that you hold a mirror up to people that comment. I had an argument on my birthday. I've had the same argument with the same person. Unfortunately, I had an argument on my birthday because they were all drinking and they were getting very, very drunk. And I, I had wine. I had a glass or two of wine. I was, I was happy. I was just plodding along. Why aren't you drinking? Why don't you drink more? Drink more. Drink what you, you know, you've hardly touched that bottle of wine. And this went on and on. And I, I was trying to be nice and bite my tongue. And I was thinking, leave me alone. Like I'm getting angry. And I ended up absolutely erupting. And I said, listen, this is none of your business. If you want to get blind drunk, crack on. That's on you. Leave me, do me, and you do you. It doesn't matter. It's of no concern to you what I'm drinking, whether I'm drinking, how much I'm drinking. Just get on with your own night. And everyone kind of looked because they they knew that I was I was going to snap, and and then that person sort of backed off. But that person does drink a lot, so then they want everyone else to drink a lot, and it really it, it's of no relevance. I'm the same person either way. You're talking about me there because I was an absolute enabler. I would literally be the bottle round, and people used to put their hand over the glass, and I was like, <laughs> "What's the matter here?" I mean, oh. it was all to do with me and my drinking. It justified me getting drunk, but I was the one that was in bed at 6 p.m. So you didn't even get to see the night out? No, I, I saw the afternoon and was so drunk that I had to go to bed. I must know? admit, I absolutely hate someone topping up my glass because I can't, I, I, I would want to see what I was consuming. Does that make mm, sense? Yeah. You yeah. have no control when someone tops up your glass. No. So actually, I, I don't think that anybody should do it. And people might say, oh, it's it's good manners or whatever. No, it's, it's not. not. It's abuse. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is abuse. I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we go, right, um, we're on episode 100 today, which is incredible. I know. So moving forward, it's episode 100 today, which is amazing. Who would you like personally for me to have on as a guest? Oh, I would really like you to have Gabo Marte on. Um, well, I mean, bloody hell. Absolutely love him. Um, he actually did a podcast recently with um, Stephen Bartlett. So um, let's let's hit him up, I think. Let's uh, let's approach Gabo Marte, see if he'll hop on. I've already that. approached, actually. Oh, have you? Uh, he is best friends with Professor David Nutt. And oh, I, come and, uh, on, Gabo, come on. Yeah, I know. And because... And Professor David Nutt always calls me Dave and his Dave. From one Dave to another, he said, he's my best friend, but he's even busier than me. I said, but you came on. So there's, there's fingers like, just crossed. Just bully him. Just bully him. I'm going to keep my fingers and toes crossed. And maybe come on, Gabs. We'll, come on. If you're listening to this, Gabble, we really appreciate you hopping on one for the road. Yeah. Um, and the other person that I would like, she's actually a podcaster herself. Um, and she's been through a whole journey and I followed her journey from episode one. Uh, it's a girl called Caroline McKenna. Um, and she does a podcast called The County Down Under. Uh, she's young. I think she's maybe early thirties, does a lot with mental health. Um, she talks a lot about the expat life, living overseas, moving back to the UK, et cetera, et cetera. Really inspirational young woman. Um, and she went sober. Mm, I, I think in the past year, um, she's been so, and oh my goodness. I mean, she has gone and done the Wim Hof camp and she's set up a new business and she travels all over the world. And she, she really shows like how good life can be. She talks about anxiety and depression and mental health and how detrimental alcohol is and how her relationship with alcohol was. And I love how positive her posts are because she's always showing that you can go to the parties, you know, you can go to the concerts, you can travel the world. I mean, she's been to Ibiza twice, I think, this summer on holiday with friends and, and she's there with her alcohol-free beer and she is having the best time ever. And she shows that actually you can have a much better time when you cut out alcohol. So yeah. those are my two that I would like to see on the show. Yeah. I'm going to honestly say that I have no real massive like role model myself that I want to get on the podcast because everyone's story means something to me. You know, I interviewed someone recently and um, she lost her husband and that's yet to come out this episode. And it was really, really, really emotional how she spoke, how her life is now. And, and it just showed how terrible alcohol can rip through families. I see the real 
bottom end of it, you know, like the real depths of people's pain. And that I come off of that and I had such emotion for this lovely woman that was prepared to sit there and tell her story. That's the beautiful thing about the show, Dave, is that you literally have guests on from all different walks of life sharing their stories. Yeah. They're all the same. It doesn't matter whether you're a rock and roll musician or, you know, you're just working a normal nine to five office job. The struggles are the same. Yeah. It, it all comes down to alcohol being a, one of the most addictive drugs in the world that is promoted wherever you look, accepted in society. It's what we do is we have a drink. I do think it's it's turning and I think change is coming. I think it's slow like anything. It's slow because the government massively benefit from the sale of alcohol. But I think change is coming and I think for the next generation, things will look very, very different. And I hope they do. I really hope they do. I I think they do. And this is why we need to keep on banging the drum bit by bit from all angles, children of alcoholics, partners of alcoholics, ex-alcoholics, you know, all keep banging the drum and bit by bit there's change. It's cooler now to go out on a hike or go out surfing or, or, you know, whatever it might be than it is to go and get racked in a park. And I think that's a good thing. Surfing? You're not in Australia now, darling. <laughs> Unless you go down to New Key. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know where you live, but I don't think you live there. No, unfortunately, not in Australia anymore. But, uh, oh, yeah. but look, I really wanted to take this opportunity to thank you so much for doing such a fantastic job over the last hundred episodes. I know it hasn't been easy. And I'm a tricky candidate at times. Nah, no, I'm no not. you're not. You're the dream <laughs> client. And thank you. I want to thank you, Dave, for having me as your producer and letting me be so involved in what has been an absolutely incredible journey. And I also just want to thank all of the guests that have come on and shared their stories. It means the world, not just me, but every single person that tunes into One for the Road. You sharing your stories is what keeps our show going. And to all the listeners, thank you for downloading. Thank you for standing by us for the past 100 episodes. And here's to the next 100. 100%. Thank you so much, Danny. You're an absolute megastar. And I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon, buddy. I really hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For further support, you can buy my book, One for the Road, on Amazon. And you can also follow me on Instagram, at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.